This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Tonight, I want to help you arm yourself ready for the fight. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to begin right there in verse 15, which is where we left off, and then read through verse 23. If you're there, say, I'm I'm there, Pastor Jay. Okay, that was pretty good. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. This is Nehemiah speaking. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon. Say weapon. With the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. And the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant Pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Say weapon. I believe that the Lord wants us to understand our weapons. Last week I talked about this battle that we see this conflict that we see emerging within the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a wine taster. He was a cupbearer to the king of Persia, Artaxerxes I. And he was given permission by the king in Babylon to go all the way back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall, to attend to the gates, to call people to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And after doing pretty well, the wall was being built actually in a short amount of time. They were succeeding at their effort. And in that moment, an enemy shows up. His name is Sanballat. And he comes with his friend Tobiah, the Ammonite. And then they bring other friends. The Bible says the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites show up to oppose them. They start to come against the work of God in Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah had the spirit of a builder on the inside of him. He knew that what he was called to build was going to be impossible without God's help. And here an enemy has shown up the moment the people have begun to make progress. Last week I talked about the fact that the minute you begin to draw closer to God, begin to make real changes in your life, get ready for the enemy to come at you from all sides. That's when opposition happens. It doesn't happen when you're living your life carefree, laissez-faire, everything's good, right? You're just sort of like coasting. It happens the minute you make an intentional decision to draw closer to Jesus. And so Nehemiah's here and he's building with the people and this threat shows up to oppose them. Last week, we looked at the three ways in which the enemy wants to oppose us through accusation and ridicule, through mockery. And then that mockery and ridicule and accusation turns to what? 
to the actual plotting of harm, to bring about confusion. And then the enemy wants to do what? Kill us. He wants to destroy us and stop the work. And so Nehemiah here arms the people. He says, grab a hold of your weapons, your swords, your spears, and your bows, and build in such a way that you can hold your weapon with your right hand and put your left hand to the task in front of you. That's the picture that I believe God is inviting us to grab a hold of tonight as people who are called to build what? To be a part of what Jesus is building in the earth, his church, by doing what? Advancing his kingdom. To build with hand on task and weapon at hand. The title of my message tonight is Arm Yourself Ready. Arm Yourself Ready. Nehemiah calls the people to arms. He says, lift up your swords, have them at your side, have them in your hand, be ready to go. And at the same time, he makes this proclamation. He says, our God will fight for us. Now, at first glance, this might seem paradoxical that God would call us to fight when in fact he's gonna fight for us. Does anybody else struggle sometimes to discern what your role is in the battle? Do you ever feel at times like, God, I don't know if I'm enough to fight the good fight of faith and take on the enemy? You guys know that we're not called to do everything, and yet at the same time, we are called to do something. And it's this tension between what God has called us to do and what God himself says he'll do that he invites us to grab a hold of, to embrace. This tension that Nehemiah presents us with, which is what? Arm yourself ready, lift up your sword, stand in the gaps of the walls, get ready for, for war, and know that your God is gonna fight for you. Some Christians have wrongly been taught that God, that because God is sovereign and does what he wants to, that he's just gonna take care of everything in our life. That I can just sit back because God's gonna fight all my battles and I don't have anything I need to do. And that's actually not a biblical view. We see this play out sometimes in what theologians call an over-realized eschatology. This is, this is meaning that because Christ has triumphed on the cross, because he's done this great work of, a victory over sin, death, and the devil that we can just kind of sit on our hands, that we don't have to really fight anything because, you know, Jesus has already won the war. Although it's true that Christ has achieved this victory for us, this great victory over sin and death and the devil, we're still engaged in a battle. We've been placed smack dab right in the middle of a spiritual conflict. And just because the enemy, we, we named him last week, Satan, our adversary, has been defeated and conquered, he hasn't been eradicated from the land yet. Meaning as a conquered, defeated foe, he's been permitted to still remain in the land. And a conquered, defeated foe can still do what? He can still lie to you. He can still try to come against you. He can still oppose you. He can still get in your ear and whisper and get you to believe that he has more power and authority over you than he actually does. That's what we see Satan doing. In fact, First Peter says to beware of Satan because he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We see evidence of this later in the story of Nehemiah at the very end of the story in chapter 13. They've built the wall. They've consecrated the temple. They've invited all the people to come back. They have this great feast, this beautiful week of celebration. But what do they actually 
forget to do. They forget to expel the presence of all the enemies. In fact, Tobiah the Ammonite is actually allowed to remain in Jerusalem. He's given a, a cozy little cot in the chambers of the temple. You can look at it and read it in chapter 13. We're not going to get to it. But the work of God has been completed. The, the walls have been reconstructed. The gates of the city have been restored. But there's an enemy who's still present. And that's sort of a picture of the, of the enemy in our life. He's been defeated. He's been conquered. Jesus has crushed in his head. But he's still in the land. And because he's still in the land, he has yet to be fully dealt with. On the other side of this spectrum are some Christians that have wrongly been taught that everything depends on our actions, that everything comes down to our striving and our fighting and our working. Everything's a battle. Everything is the devil's fault. There's a demon on every doorstep. And as a result, life is a constant struggle to overcome. This too is an egregious view of scripture. Can I tell you something? There's actually a better and more middle ground. It's this. And we see it right here in Nehemiah chapter four. It's Nehemiah calling the people to arms and proclaiming at the same time that our God will fight for us. It's you pick up your sword, you prepare for war, you get ready to fight and know that when you do, God's gonna be right there with you. He's gonna be right there ready to fight our battles. Meaning, it's both and, not either or. It's prepare to engage your enemy and know that God's gonna fight for you when you do. So in the arming of the people here, and we see this with Nehemiah, he calls them to take up their spears and their swords and their bows and to do what? To labor on the wall with one hand to the task and the other with weapon in hand. Let's read it again. Verse 16. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah. So all the leadership was behind this effort to build. And they were building on the wall, the house of Judah, the clan of Judah, those were the, the praisers. They were the ones that would go forth before the army and declare the word of the Lord. We see this in the, the book of Joshua when they were, when they were uh, sent out to walk around the walls of Jericho. And so the, cl the clan or the house of Judah, the, the descendants of Judah are the ones actually doing the building here. And it says those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. Why so much emphasis on this, Pastor Jason? Because I want us to get an understanding and a, a clear view of what it is that God's calling you and me to do. Some of you are parents, which means that you have to labor in such a way that you can keep your one hand on your crazy kid and your other hand lifting up your sword. Any of you parents relate to that who have some kids that sometimes get a little out of line and you got to like, no, 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 honey, get back over here. No, 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 come back over here. Anybody ever see like your child like veering towards the street and cars are coming and, you, and what's your responsibility as a parent? It's like, no, let me get you and grab you by the hair and get you back into safety. But the picture is to do so without dropping your sword. What's the sword? We talked about it last week. It's the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. It's you and I being actively engaged in what? In knowing our word and using the word and proclaiming the word and being about the word. So it's working in such a way that God's word is always before us. You know why this encourages me? Because some of you hate your jobs. Some of you are not happy with your boss or with the line of work that you found yourself in. Can I tell you, God wants you to work or labor in such a way that you don't drop your weapon while you work, that God's word is before you. So even if you're in a harsh environment, you can speak the word of God there. You can shine God's light there. You can declare God's promises there. You can work in such a way that you don't drop your sword. That's the picture. That's what Nehemiah 
is inviting us to. That's what God wants us to, to do. He wants us to do this, next slide, with the full confidence that God is going to fight for us. Did you guys know that the Lord is a warrior? The Bible actually refers to him here in Exodus 15, verse 3, as a warrior. It says this, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. God is a warrior who is wanting to fight battles on your behalf. As people created in his image, though, I believe that you and I, regardless of whether you're male or female, that we were created in the image and likeness of God to also do what? To wage war, to be warriors. Just listen to the way David speaks about it in the Psalms. I love the Psalms. We see this here in Psalm 18, verse 34. Next slide. He trains my hands for war, David says, so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Anybody ever tried to bend a bow of bronze? I have friends who hunt, and they are bow hunters. And they can tell you that bending a bow or stringing a bow is really hard work. It's really strenuous. And yet, this is the picture that David invites us to consider. Now, he's talking about physical warfare here. We know that because David would go on to fight physical battles. But I believe this is still a physical picture of a spiritual reality that God is inviting us to, to have our hands trained for war, to be ready so that we can bend a bow of bronze. That picture is this picture of us suiting up, getting ready for battle, getting ready to engage. We see it again in Psalm 144, verse 1. In the NLT, it says this, Praise the Lord, who is my rock. He trains my hands for war. He says it again. And gives my fingers what? Skill for battle. God wants you to fight in such a way that's skillful. He doesn't want you out there just like swinging your sword around, woo, like a crazy chicken. That's not skillful. Anybody can do that. No, he wants you to be precise. My word, focused. He wants you to be able to be focused. So whether you're laboring with one hand on the work that God's put in front of you, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a dentist or a lawyer, construction worker, you're an employee or your employer, whatever God has given you to do, you do that with all of your heart, with all of your might, and with your sword ready to go, focused on the battle at hand, engaged in what God wants you to do. And the Bible says that he's going to help you do it. He's going to train you for war. He's going to give your fingers skill for battle. This is why I believe we have to take seriously what the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 6. We have to take up the full armor of God so that we can do what? Stand against the work of the enemy. Let's go there and read it together. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. This is one of my favorite chapters in the book of Ephesians after chapter 5. But it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of what? Your might? His might. Okay, just making sure we're reading the same translation here. Verse 11, put on the whole or the full armor of God that you may be able to stand. Everybody say stand. stand. He wants us to stand against the schemes of the devil. The picture here is us actively opposing him. It's not taking a defensive posture. It's not running from him. It's not hiding from him. Satan, I know you're out there. I hope you don't see me back here. 
You guys, he wants you to stand. The picture is that of what? A warrior. Someone whose hands have been skillful and trained for war and battle. Someone who, like a soldier, knows his post or her post and is willing to stand in that gap. Sword in hand. Come on, shield of faith raised. With the full armor of God. With the full armor of God. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. He reminds us of what our battle really is with. Against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. What does this look like? I alluded to it last week. I said it looks like you putting on the full armor of God and lifting up your sword of the spirit. We see it in the next verses, verses 13 through 18. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. There it is again. He wants you to stand firm in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. He says it a third time, you guys. Three times he mentions this. Stand, fourth time, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This is what we're going to do when we walk through our neighborhoods and pray, you guys. We're going to put on the boots of the gospel, being ready to give the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Verse 17, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, there it is, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Do you guys see how God wants us to be equipped? He doesn't want any part of you to not be engaged or ready for the battle. Now, it'd be nice if we could just sit back on our hands and let God do all of it. But what we see from Ephesians here and what Paul is telling his church in Ephesus is that we have a role in this fight. We have a role in this fight. Yeah, Jesus has won the war. Yeah, but we're still engaged in the battle, in the skirmishes of every day. Paul would go on to tell the Corinthian church this as a word of encouragement to them, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-6. through 6, For though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh. Some of you have been waging war with your family members in the flesh and you're upset and you're frustrated and you're angry and you're disappointed because you've been battling them in the flesh. I know because I look at some of your comment sections on Facebook. You guys, Facebook is not where we go to war. The comment section of your cousin or sibling or friend's post is not where we go to war. The Bible actually tells us that the God of this world has actually blinded people, so they don't even see the truth. So if you're trying to argue truth with somebody who's blinded to truth, it's not going to work. Where do we go to war? Paul tells us in Ephesians, in the spirit realm against authorities and principalities and strongholds that need to be torn down that need to be torn down so that what? People's eyes can be set free so that people can see the truth. And then once they see the truth, they can what? Know the truth. And then once they know the truth, they can be set free by the truth. They can come to live in that truth for their life. That's what we pray every time we gather here on Tuesday nights. So Paul says, we don't, even though we're walking in this fleshly body, we're not waging war against our neighbors and spouses and family according to the flesh. That's not gonna work. 
But he, he says this in verse four, but the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. I grew up on the King James. They're not carnal. They're not meaty, right? But they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Verse five, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought, say every thought, every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So we're taking thoughts captive. We're not taking people captive. We're not warring against flesh and blood. Come on. We're warring against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. But I want you guys to know this. If you've never read this before, it's really worth your time reading this whole thing in, in its context. But I want you to notice that our weapons are not of the flesh, but they are of the spirit and they have divine power to destroy and dismantle strongholds. The weapons that God wants you to arm yourself ready with are powerful. They're powerful. We used one of those weapons tonight when we came together to worship. One of the reasons I love this time of gathering together in worship is that we're doing warfare. Yes, hopefully you're experiencing the healing presence and power of God for your life. We always want that. Hopefully the heart of God is being blessed and ministered to because we always want to love on Jesus. But also, also, also we're doing warfare. We're pushing back spiritual darkness. We're declaring the word of God. We're utilizing the sword of the spirit. That's why we're so careful about the songs that we sing. We're not just here trying to, to conduct a song service, you know, so that you guys can all sing along and have goosebumps and good feelings. I love goosebumps and good feelings. But what we're trying to do is as soldiers in the army of the Lord, we're trying to man the gaps or woman the gaps. We're trying to step into that. And we're trying to stand firm against the enemy. Every time you open your mouth and declare the word of God, you're using the sword of spirit to push back darkness, to take thoughts captive to do what? To obey Christ. You guys, this is why it's so important for us to have our minds renewed. And can I just give you a little, a little nugget? Just because you have a thought doesn't mean that you have to own that thought. Every time you think something, doesn't, that doesn't have to define you. Can I tell you something? My wife can tell you, I get all kinds of crazy thoughts. <laughs> like I thought it would be a, a good idea when I first met my wife to throw mud and sand at her. You guys, that was a thought that I should have taken captive to the obedience of Christ. <laughs> when we first met on the beach in California, I thought I was being playful. I found out later I was just being an idiot. And all the ladies are like, yep, yep. I was 20 years old and we took our youth ministry down to the beach for our Bible studies we used to do there, which was a lot of fun. And my uh, wife's sister, who was a high school student in our youth ministry, was actually trying to set us up, which I didn't know about. And so she brought Candace to the beach so that we could meet and like fall in love. And it worked. Much to my uh, chagrin, I, I tried to elicit uh, some playful activity on the beach and I threw, uh, I threw a, a handful of mud at her. Yeah, I'm not proud of it, you guys. It's confession time. Like a little kid, exactly. Zero romance to that activity, you guys. But can I tell you, that just tells you how good of a woman Candace is. If she could receive mud to the face and still marry this guy... There's hope for the rest of you, okay? There really is. Singles, hang in there, all right? Your mudslinger's out there, I promise you. 
I promise you. All right, squirrel, I digress. <laughs> I don't even know where I was going with that. Where I was going with that was that every thought that comes into your mind, you guys shouldn't act on it or, give, or entertain it or give credence to it. What does God call us to do? He calls us to take it into captivity. How do you take something into captivity? Well, first you recognize that thought is not, does not belong to me. That thought is opposed to the knowledge of Christ in my life. Therefore, it needs to obey Jesus. If that thought's not ready to obey Jesus, come on, you got to subject it to the obedience of Christ. You got to be ready to punish that thing. The Quakers used to say, mortify the flesh. They used to have this saying about crucifying the flesh and the desires and passions of the flesh. They would say, mortify it. We don't like to use that word in church anymore, mortify your flesh. That sounds pretty, uh, pretty deathly, right? It's pretty intense, right, Matt? But that's what you have to do. You have to take an active stance to come against that thing, you guys. And I know because it's a daily battle. I have to do it all the time. There's thoughts coming to my mind. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to entertain that idea, yeah. right? Men, when, when a thought comes into your mind that, that tries to take you to pornography, you, you, can either, uh, you can either give in to it or you can take it captive and go, nope, I'm going to subject that to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because Christ is worth more in my life and because that's not who I am. Some of you need to start knowing who you are by getting in your word, by using your word. The reason you're still struggling in this area, and the truth is, people are struggling, both men and women are struggling with pornography like never before. It's inundated our culture, so much so that our minds are inundated with it. And even casually, when you go to the grocery store and right there on the magazine aisle, right? It's just, it's everywhere. And we have to be a people that are willing to do what? To take it captive and punish it. We have to take a punishing stance against this stuff. That's why parents, you need to be really careful with your kids and you need to have these kind of conversations with your kids. We started having conversations with our kids years ago because we believe in the power of first mention, meaning we wanted their sexuality to be formed by what we say about it, not their peers and what the world says about it. It's an important principle for you to grab a hold of and if you're scared or you're nervous, you're an introvert, you're not sure how to talk to your kids about that, come talk to us. We'd love to give you some tools and some resources that can help you. But they're never too young because you know what? The enemy's going to target them. And he is targeting them. All of the marketing machine is targeting them, right? You probably saw it in the Super Bowl. What is the enemy going after? He's really going after our kids and he wants to grab a hold of them and suck them in. So we have to do what? We have to take every thought captive against the knowledge or we have to take every thought captive that is raised against the knowledge of God in Christ and we need to be ready to punish it so that our obedience can be complete so we can walk in wholeness and fullness. That's the goal. So though we walk in the flesh, we know that we are not waging war according to the flesh because God is calling us to arm ourselves, ready to take up arms in the spirit. So I believe that means it's time for us to go to war. It's time for us to take a posture of those who go to war. We see this in what Ephesians chapter six says. We're gonna go back to it here in just a second. We take up the sword of the spirit. In fact, you can go back there, Phil. We take up the sword of the spirit. Go back one more. We're gonna find it. It's on there somewhere, I promise you. We take up the sword of the spirit. We put on the full armor of God that we may be able to stand against the enemy. It's lifting up the sword of the spirit and it's praying at all times. It's both and. Do we have it? Go to the next verse after this. 
And go to the next one after this. There it is. I knew we'd get to it. Here it is, you guys. God wants it to be really simple for us. Lifting up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and doing what? Praying at all times in the Spirit. A lot of times we overemphasize the armor, but we don't realize that there's actually another thing that we're called to do, and it's to pray. And not just sometimes, at all times. Some of you are like, at all times, that seems a little much. Well, not when you understand how simple prayer is meant to be. Prayer is, a sem- is essentially you speaking to God. It's you lifting up before God the things that he wants you to partner with him in and come into alignment with. So as we prepare to close, I want to just leave us with, these, with this picture and with two questions that I think we need to ask ourselves. How are you using your sword is the first question. And number two, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Let's start with the sword. You guys remember that movie, The Princess Bride? Kind of a classic, right? My favorite character in that movie, Inigo Montoya. Right? You killed my father, prepare to die. Okay, so there's this great moment. You guys have all seen this movie, right? Some of you young people are shaking your heads, and I'm really sorry. Parents, you really need to do better, okay? This is a must-see movie here, all right? And an illustration. But there's this moment in The Princess Bride where... Anigo Montoya's character is in search of the man who killed his father, right? The six-fingered man. You guys remember that? And then Wesley, who's the main character, he's the protagonist. He's dressed in black. He looks like Zorro. They get into this sword fight. And they're fighting, right? With, left, with, with their swords in their left hand. And they're going back and forth, and it's witty, and it's this great duel, classic moment, classic movie moment. And what happens? Anigo Montoya tells... Wesley, that he's not left-handed. And he switches hands. And he starts fighting him with the right hand. And he starts to overtake him. And he's got Wesley against the rocks. And then Wesley says what? He says, there's something else that I think you need to know. I also am not left-handed. And then he switches his sword from left hand to right hand. And now they're going at it, going back and forth, right? Because neither of them were actually left-handed. They're actually right-handed, but they were skilled enough with their sword fighting, in their swordsmanship, They could fight with either hand. How are you using your sword? Are you only left-handed? Meaning, are you limiting what God wants to do in your life by only reading your Bible on Sundays? (laughs) Hopefully, this isn't the only time you guys crack open this thing. Because if it is, you're fighting left-handed. And God wants you to also be right-handed. He wants you to be well-versed in the art of using your sword. So how are you using your sword? And I love that picture. Number two, how's your prayer life? There's a line in this song that we sang at the start of our service tonight called Battle Belongs. You guys know that song. It says, when I fight, I'll do what? I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. You guys, this is the picture of one who prays. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be on your knees every time you pray. But this picture is one of surrender. It's one of going before God, of humbling yourself. Yeah, God, I know I can do a lot in the flesh. I can make things happen. I can orchestrate the deal. I can get a lot of stuff done on my own and through my own intellect and through all my pedigree and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to win the fight if it just comes down to you and your sword play. At some point, you're going to have to hit your knees in prayer and know that when you do, your God fights for you. That's how we fight on our knees with hands lifted high. And we know that when we do, our God fights for us. The battle belongs to him. That's another way of saying that he's going to win the war. He's going to win it. 
and he's going to engage you in doing that. So I want to ask you this, how is your prayer life? Or let me put it this way, how's your, how's your war room? How's your war room? You guys have a, a place to pray? I, for me, there's, I have a lot of different places that I like to pray. Some of them I'm not going to tell you about because then my war room will become your war room. But you guys need to have some secret places to pray where nobody sees you, where nobody knows you. Jesus says, when you pray, go and shut the door and your father who is in secret, who sees you, will reward you openly. There it should be, and we talked about this, I think, in week two of this series, there should be a place for you to go to that is uniquely yours, where you can do battle, where you can get on your knees before the Lord and begin to cry out to him and begin to declare who he is in your life. And I believe that as you do that, come on, we're going to see things change. We're going to see the enemy falling backwards. We're going to see the kingdom of God advancing. We're going to see the church alive. We're going to see people set free and transformed. I don't know about you guys, but that's what I live for, to see God grab a hold of hearts like yours and like mine and do something new and fresh and radical in them that all the best self-help books can't do. You can turn to Deepak Chopra and all the self-help gurus, and you can read a proverb a day and do all those things, and those are all fine and dandy. But at the end of the day, if you're not praying... You're limited, and you're limiting God's ability to fight battles for you. In both of these ways, I believe that we're called to fight. And we see it in Paul's words to, first Tim, to, Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. I want to leave you with this verse. Pursue righteousness, church. Pursue godliness, church. Pursue faith, church. Pursue love, church. Pursue steadfastness, church. Pursue gentleness, church. And then do this. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight. I know there's times where it's going to feel like you're tired. I know because I, I get there too. This is, this is tough, Lord. This is hard fighting this good fight. Keep fighting anyways. Keep standing anyways. Keep praying anyways. Keep yourself well armored and well equipped and watch what God will do. May not happen all of a sudden. It may not happen the moment you want it to, but come on, I am so encouraged. But I think it was Sophia who shared that she prayed for 10 years for her daughter and God worked and did a miracle in her life. Can we be steadfast and continue to pray even when we don't get the answers? Can we continue to fight even when we're tired? Can we continue to pursue righteousness when it's no longer politically correct? Can we continue to be gentle husbands when our wives drive us crazy? Can we continue to be godly when the computer and the Instagram and the Facebook and the pornography comes calling? Can we continue to be a people of faith when we feel afraid and full of doubt? Can we continue to pursue love when all we really want to do is get angry and hateful? Can we continue to be steadfast and fight the good fight of the faith? I believe that we can. And I believe that the Holy Spirit will help you when you choose to make that decision. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.